Hey, my name is Brian, and I um, get to preach here at Highland Park, and I uh, hope you had a very happy Thanksgiving. And today we're going to talk about a theme that ties into Thanksgiving, and it's the, the idea of contentment, a biblical idea. And we, we have problems being content. We often want more. We want more toys and more money and a bigger house and a nicer car and a nicer family. Did anybody wish that this week? Uh, and, and during the holidays, especially, we, we, we want, you know, more gifts. We're not content with the amount of food on our plate, or we're not content that, that the family time wasn't as perfect as we expected, and we just aren't satisfied. We want more, and we want more, and we want more. But God comes along and offers us this kind of countercultural idea to be content. And the problem is that when we chase stuff, and we say, I need more of this and more of this and more of this, more Monopoly money, because we didn't trust the boys to steal our real money and give it back. Um, <laughs> it's really just like trying to get stuff and then putting it into an envelope with a hole in it or a bucket with a hole in it. And the more you stuff it in there, you might accumulate more stuff, but you don't actually ever accumulate joy and full contentment, and happiness, and so many people spend their whole lives running around trying to gather stuff, and get stuff, and change stuff, and they stick it into an envelope that has a giant hole in the bottom, and it just falls out, and today we want to talk about how can we actually fill our souls with something that will bring us contentment, and fulfillment, and joy, the stuff that our hearts deeply, deeply seek. And so uh, I want you to just begin this morning with me uh, a little exercise. If you can pull out your bulletin, there's a sermon page in there. If you did not get one, you can just do this on a blank piece of paper um, or whatever you've got on your phone or anything. But if you've got a pen and, and the sermon page, um, I've just put two categories on the top of the sermon page. And one is I'd like you just to list three things for which you are thankful for which you're extremely thankful. And on the other side, I just want you to make a, a list of three things that you're bummed about, okay? So three on thankful, three on the side of which you're, things you're bummed about. Don't take too long. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. Mark, set, go. If you were able to list three things you're bummed about, it doesn't make you a bad person. That's the good news. Here's what God is after. Can you let the things that you're, for which you're thankful overwhelm or be bigger than the things that you're bummed about? Because we'll be bummed about lots of stuff in life. There's some really sad stuff to deal with in life. But God teaches us a way that our thankfulness can actually umbrella, overwhelm, overcome the really tough stuff in life. And so I want to define contentment for you. Here's a definition. It is an inner sense of rest or peace that comes from being right with God and knowing that he is in control of all that happens to us. Contentment is this thing deep inside of us. It's not on the outside dancing around. It is deep inside of us. And there's a secret to being content, and God wants you to know it. And God doesn't want you just to know it. God wants you to experience it. And Jesus described this kind of experience this way. He said, therefore, I tell you, 
Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. That verse is about contentment. Paul talks about it, and while he was in prison, he wrote this. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Oh, did you know that verse was right there? Usually we quote that verse of like, I can dunk a basketball because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ never strengthened me that much, actually. <laughs> I tried a lot. And, but actually that verse that I can do all things, that verse is about I can be content in all things, no matter what happens to me. Even if I still can't dunk the basketball, even if life goes wrong, if I lose my job, if I get sick, I can still do all things and be content because of how Christ strengthens me. So the secret to being content is very simple, and it's beautifully summed up in one phrase from the book of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. If we learn to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, then we find this contentment, this deep-seated joy and fulfillment. So with that said, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and there's this beautiful passage on contentment that I want to read for us today as we think about being thankful and being content and how those two things go together. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'm going to begin in verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many Griefs. So when we talk about godly contentment today, I want to talk about three things that this verse teaches about contentment that we can see. First of all, we want to be content to trust what God teaches. Content to trust what God teaches. Think about the prophets in the Old Testament. Sometimes God told them to teach something, and teaching that thing led to their demise. They were persecuted, beaten up, thrown in jail. All kinds of terrible things happened to them because they trusted the Lord enough to still teach. Now, were the prophets content? Yeah, oftentimes they were, even when they were beat up, even when they were persecuted. See, it's, it's one thing to say, well, I'll teach and I'll believe in the Bible, the stuff that I want to believe in the Bible. It's another thing to be so content that you trust God that you will do whatever God says. You will believe whatever God teaches you. Think about Jesus. As he taught, the Pharisees oftentimes were so angry with him. In fact, roughed him up and ended up crucifying him, 
But Jesus was going to teach what was truth and what was right because he was content to honor God the Father. Think about Paul and the early church. Everywhere they went, they knew that sometimes if they opened up their mouths and said a certain thing, they were going to be thrown in prison, maybe even killed. Kids, um, talking to kids for a minute, parents can listen in. Kids, have your parents ever told you something and you did not really believe them that it was true? And so you begin to maybe to argue a little bit with them, or maybe you just kind of like, yeah, whatever, and you went on and did your own thing. And your parents were like, no, no, but if you would just listen, I know this to be true. And what that means is there's a lack of contentment with trusting what mom and dad are saying. Like, no, I can't just trust you. I can't be content with that. I need to trust myself. Parents, I'm going to talk to you for a second. Have you ever had a kid tell you what you know is right? but you were too prideful to admit that you were wrong? We don't like that very much. Um, Kids, don't you actually don't listen to this. But parents, you know this happens every once in a while, right? And it takes some humility. It actually takes this contentment, this deep inside of I'm content with the truth, with God's truth, with every time God teaches me. So we need to be content to trust what God teaches. Also, godly contentment, it means that we are content to forgive. Did you see verses four through five? I mean, it sounds like the worst family reunion ever. People are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, constant friction. I mean, it just sounds terrible, right? And you know what the opposite of all that stuff is? It's really forgiveness. To forgive people means that you're not in constant war with them. You're not constantly fighting them. Frank and Elizabeth Morris had an 18-year-old son named Ted. And Ted was home for college for the holidays, and, and they were enjoying that time with him. And he got out to see some friends one night, and he was late getting home. And they were starting to kind of worry. They should have been home by now. And then they got that call that no parent ever wants to get. And the call was, your son has been in a wreck. You need to get to the hospital. Well... When Ted had left his friend's house that night, another young man named Tommy, Tommy had been with some friends too, but with Tommy's friends, they were drinking lots of alcohol, and he was drunk, and his friends even told him, you should not drive home, but he did not listen to them, and as he was driving, he he passed out, went across the highway, and he hit Ted head on, and the next morning, Ted died, and Tommy was okay physically. Of course, uh, it went to court, and Tommy was charged with, with manslaughter because he had killed Ted. And when he uh, pleaded not guilty, uh, the parents, uh, Frank and Elizabeth, were so angry. Like, how could he say he's not guilty? And because of that, the, there were different appeals, and the legal system sometimes goes really slow. And it took two years of all of this going on and, and Frank and Elizabeth wanting justice for their son. And finally, after two years, the judge says, I'm sentencing Frank, uh, or I'm, I'm sen- sentencing Tommy to probation, pr- probation only. And he's going to serve no jail time. And they were so angry because they said, he killed our boy and he should go to jail for that. And Elizabeth would go on to say that she even fantasized about murdering Tommy. 
to find justice for herself. And in this midst of all this anger, somebody came and interrupted all of their plans for revenge. And it was Jesus. And God began to press upon their hearts this idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness matters even in the most difficult of situation. Forgiveness matters. I forgave you and commanded you to forgive others. And this isn't some... This isn't some situation outside the bounds of God's truth. And slowly but surely, this idea of forgiveness began to sink in to Frank and Elizabeth's hearts. And Tommy, meanwhile, continued his destructive path. And uh, he, he violated his parole and he wrecked drinking and driving again. And that time he spent three months in prison. And guess who went to visit him? Frank and Elizabeth. They decided, we're going to go visit him in prison. And they did, and they started to talk to him, and they started to realize how broken his life was. His family was broken. His life was broken, and everything was a mess. He had a major addiction to alcohol. And they went back to see him again and again and again. And they started to talk to him about Jesus and how Jesus was helping them to forgive him and And after three months, he got out of prison. And shortly after that, one night, Frank and Elizabeth got in their car and they drove over to Tommy's house and they picked him up and they drove to their church and Frank baptized Tommy that night. And you know what? Every day, every day since then, Tommy calls Frank and Elizabeth and they talk on the phone. They go bowling together and roller skating together and they just do life together, he's become like their son. That story is almost unbelievable, isn't it? But it's true. It's a real story. And the reason that we think for a second that's unbelievable is because we're thinking, and if that was me, I would be so angry. And yeah, you would be. But maybe we're forgetting that God does something in our hearts. See, it's impossible on our own to forgive like that. But then we begin to think about Jesus who on the cross, remember what he said? God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Tommy didn't know what he was doing in life. Some of you may not know what you're doing in life, and maybe the people who have hurt you don't know what they're doing in life. And Jesus says, forgive them. See, if we can be so content and so trusting in God that he is the judge that he will set things right, that where revenge needs to happen, he'll take care of that. Where justice needs to happen, he'll take care of that ultimately, eternally. But in the meantime, we love people and we forgive people and we care for people. Who does that? The content person. The person who's so content that God is in control, that God loves them and cares for them and God loves the other people and cares for them too. With with real contentment, we're able to forgive people when it just doesn't make any sense. You know, forgiveness ought to be one of the most defining characteristics in the Christian's life. If people look at you and they don't see forgiveness being active and even extraordinary, then you got to kind of question, am I really following Jesus? Because followers of Jesus just forgive even when it doesn't make any sense, even when it's crazy. And that forgiveness changes people's lives hearts. So we're content to trust what God teaches, and we're content to forgive. Lastly, we're content to give. 
And I just want to read a couple of these verses again. Look at verse 6 and think about this idea of being so content in life that you're willing to give anything you have. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Have you ever had a parent that said that to you? <laughs> you brought nothing into this world, or, or I brought you into this world, and I'll take you out of this world. And, but, but God is saying, you, did, you came with nothing, zero. And everything that you've accumulated since that moment you were born is a gift of God. And so don't hang on to it too tightly. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You ever read a story about a millionaire who tried to cheat on their taxes and you're like, why? You have more money than I ever dreamt of having and you're cheating on your taxes? Like, you got a million dollars and you can't, why? Or somebody who's a successful CEO and they're still scamming their their company, like, why? Because it's a trap. If you start chasing riches, it is a trap. When God says to give, he's not being mean. He's trying to save you because you will be lost if you fall down that trap of, I need more, 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 more. Verse 10 says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not money itself. Money, you know, is neutral. It can be good or bad. You can use it for either. But that love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And look over, if you would, at verse 17. We did not read this earlier. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's what God wants you to have, is to have true life, not the fake stuff where you're chasing after money or fame or, or more stuff. No, God wants you to have real life where you can pursue him and he pursues you and he gives you what you can never get on your own, contentment. I have always remembered this story that Erwin McManus told, I heard years ago, and I've always thought about it in terms of our uh, food pantry ministry, but he was uh, ministering at a really poor area, a church in Dallas. And I mean, the church hardly had anything, the community hardly had anything, but they were helping people as much as they could. And there was one lady who had come and said, uh, hey, can you help me? I'm short on my rent. And the church had kind of gathered up extra money and gave, and they and they helped cover her rent, and there was a couple other times that she could not pay for a utility, and they had just done everything, including giving personal money and all that they could to try to help pay for her utilities, and they had done this a number of times, and one day she called and she said, "Uh, can you please uh, help me out? I'm I'm not going to be able to pay rent, and they looked at the church budget, and there was just nothing there. It was zero, flat, nada, and in his wallet, nothing. And they was like, there's nothing that they could do. They did not have any resources. And so he, he didn't even just want to call her. He walked, he felt terrible. He walked to her house and knocked on the door. And he said, I am, I am so sorry. You know, we've tried, we, we've helped you a number of times, but, but this time we're just not able to help. And you know what she did? She cussed him out. She cussed him off and ran him out, uh, out the door. And when he left, he just was thinking one thing, 
I'm not sure we've actually helped her. (laughs) No kidding. And ever since that I learned this lesson, you know you're helping someone when they're thankful. If they're not thankful, you might not be helping them. Parents, that's a lesson that you should kind of lock away. Grandparents. And we had kind of an opposite story happen about uh, three weeks ago. Uh, I, uh, some of you know that our 220 Food Pantry um, gave away turkey uh, baskets for people to have a Thanksgiving dinner. And um, we, we just kind of did a random drawing. And so it was kind of fun. People could put their name in. And um, at the Fall Fun Fest uh, that night, we gave away some, some turkey baskets. And it's like, you know, the turkey and the whole thing, the whole Thanksgiving dinner in a basket. And uh, some folks who, 20 of them that we drew their names, we let them know, and people were so excited. And I met one of the ladies um, who was just the most delightful lady I've ever met in my life. And she was just all bubbly and excited that she had won this. And I said, so what are you going to do for Thanksgiving, like for Thanksgiving dinner? And um, do you have plans? Do you have family coming in? Whatever. And she said, well, I don't have a lot of family, but um, my son um, uh, lives with me and, and uh, we live in, in, the, in some apartments where I have lots of friends though, and they don't have any family either. And so for Thanksgiving dinner, this is a big basket. Uh, we're just going to open up our doors, and we're inviting all of our neighbors to come have Thanksgiving dinner with us. And if the weather is nice, I'm going to move my table out uh, to the sidewalk parking lot area. And that way, if people are walking by, they can just come join us, and we'll all have this Thanksgiving dinner together. And after I heard that story, I thought, I think we're helping her. I think we're helping Because that's the thankfulness that we want to see. That's the thankfulness that, honestly, it wasn't our ministry that did that in her heart. That was God's work in her life. And to be honest, uh, if if I was going to be here on Thursday, that's where I kind of wanted to be. And I, I can't wait to hear about how they were able to care for their neighbors. But when we are truly content with life, when we say, God, I think you've given me enough. I know you've given me enough. I know you've given me more than enough. When we have that kind of an attitude, we become thankful for anything that comes our way, and it releases our grip on our stuff and just makes it easy to give. Some of you just blow me away with how you give, and you've given things that I might know about and nobody else even knows about because it was a secret. And you've come and said, hey, give me some needs that I can take care of this week or this month or over the holidays. And, and so many of you have this contentment in your life where it's just really obvious that you're willing to give. And you know what the crazy thing is? When, when you give like that, you think it's like the greatest thing ever. You would think it was the person receiving it that thought it was the greatest thing ever, and lots of them do. But it's the giver who actually finds more joy in that. Have you experienced that? I think God builds us this way. Any of you have little kids who have already given you your Christmas present? <laughs> why do they do that? Or why do they? Because they love to give. They want you to see what they've given or what they've made. So how do we become content? How do we really be satisfied with who we are? There's not a list to check off. Ultimately, the way we become content is we say, God, change my greedy heart. (laughs) Take my greedy heart and help me be content. Take my selfish heart and you mold it and, 
and you change it to become like you because it is only God's work in our hearts that helps us be content the way he wants us to be content. And this morning, if you've never said, God, I need you to take my heart because I see all these signs of brokenness in my heart, greed and selfishness and all of these things that kind of run opposite of Thanksgiving and what it should be about. But God, would you take my heart and mold it and make it into what I can't do on my own? And God is in the business of doing that. He's really good at doing that. And he will take your heart and change it in a way that you can never change on your own. And this morning, if, if anybody would like prayer in their life, we'll have some folks up front that'd be glad to pray with you, even just during uh, this next song, if you would like to. Or if you would like to talk to somebody about what it means to be baptized and give your life to Jesus so that he can work on your heart and change you and, and forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of his Holy Spirit to walk with you in life then you're welcome to mark that on your card and we'll be glad to study with you this week. Or again, you can come up here during this next song or even once the service is over, just kind of quietly to come up here, you're welcome to do that as well. Would, would you stand and let me pray for us? God, we, um, we know that you've given us so much and we're sorry for the times that we've held on really tightly to the the things that you've blessed us with and you intended us just to give them away. And Lord, we, we desire to have contentment. It seems so fleeting in this world and we see so much around us that tells us that we should not be satisfied with how we look or how much we have or what we drive or the phone or whatever it is. So God, teach us to be content. Change our hearts to be content so that when people see my life and our lives and our life as a church family, one of the things they would see is people who are content with what we have in the good times and the bad times and riches and in poverty. I pray that we can be together in that. God, help us to be content. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.